Welcome to Inspired Caregiver with me, Michelle Magner. This is the podcast where people who are helping out their older family members come for information, tips, and inspiration on how to make their journey easier. Enjoy this episode of Inspired Caregiver. Well, thank you so much for uh, meeting with me. Sure. You want to introduce yourself? Yes. <clears throat> I'm Kay Cronholm, and I am a licensed mental health practitioner, and I've done a lot of work with um, families and teenagers, and I am now working a lot with um, caregiving and with families who need support with how to take care of someone who is needing extra support and care. That's so wonderful. Um, well, I appreciated Kelly Morris referring you to me to help us talk through grief as a caregiver. Because one of the, um, there's like several angles to this that I was hoping that we could cover. Um, one is just caregivers really struggle with a lot of loss in their own lives because when they assume a caregiver role, um, their world shrinks. And so they have a lot of grief for the life that they used to have. Um, and then of course the grief that goes hand in hand with watching your loved one decline. Yes. Um, which is so hard. And then of course, after they pass, just trying to rebuild a life. Absolutely. That's yeah. so, yeah. Um, I am a caregiver and my husband has dementia. He is frontal temporal lobe. And um, because his is also vascular, he's declining at a slower rate than some mm -hmm. with temporal. But um, I've spent the last eight years in as a caregiver, in addition to working with others who are caregivers and um, helping to give them support. And I've been a part of a uh, support myself. Yes. Uh, at least monthly um, at St. Vincent de Paul. And uh, that's been very beneficial too. And that's been outside of um, Grief's Journey. But in Grief's Journey, um, so many of the people that we work with, and I, I do an adult support group called Adults Helping Adults, and many of the people that have been a part of that group are also caregivers and um, or have le recently lost um, to early death um, their loved ones. Wow. And so... Um, I, it, I just kind of span a variety of roles in relation to caregiving. Um, one of the things that I've been especially aware of in the last few months is the personal cost to yourself. Um, yes. my, my husband has had um, several uh, little crises. He had a hip replacement and and um, he also had um, an eye that had to be operated on because he cut the tear duct. And um, so he's been in the hospital and needing lots of medical care. And what happened in the last, well, since July, what's happened to our daily life, it feels like constant chaos, like nothing is ever finished before some, some other factor or crisis comes up in relation to what we're doing until you feel so depleted. Yeah. And 
your anxiety level is so high that you lose that sense of yourself and um, become the person that makes everything happen regardless of how you're feeling or how you're operating in the crisis. And um, so I've, I've really um, had a lot of time in the last three months to think about the stresses that I've been under. And um, there's been a couple times when I have said to my family, I just can't do this anymore. I just yeah. can't. And then thinking to myself, but here you are, and you will be doing it. And <laughs> so how can you take care of yourself and renew yourself so that you can keep going? And um, I've uh, worked with another friend who we taught um, classes for caregivers, and we did um, a workshop called Solutions, where they could bring their unique situation at home to the group and we talk about what were the options that they could um, look at. And so I kind of got back into uh, that format of, all right, Kay, um, how are you gonna look at this and how are you going to change it so that you're not just surviving, but you're thriving, that you are doing the things that help you feel good as a separate person and as a person with your own energy and spirituality and all of that. How do you encourage yourself? And of course, a lot of the support comes from talking with other caregivers or friends who know what you deal with on a daily basis. And so that's a vital part of reaching out and saying, I just need to talk today because I'm really struggling. Mm -hmm. And I have a group of friends that respond and are very supportive. And uh, so I'm very lucky that way. But I've had to work at, you know, connecting that group of people and we're there for each other. But I think the, the most difficult part is if the caregiver is not in good shape, nothing's in good shape because right. so much of it pivots around you and how you organize, how you bring things in or do certain things. And if you're off kilter with that, it just does not go well and wears you out even more. So I think uh, self-care is number one. Um, and I think so many caregivers think, oh, I'm fine, I can do this and I can just keep going. And you can't just keep going. You have to have some organized way in which you approach self-care for yourself, especially the sleep that you need to get at night. Um, and I know several of my friends are up with their loved ones during the night because um, they don't sleep through the night. And so that's particularly taxing, but that's so important. And um, at Grief's Journey, we've been talking at times about offering just a, a group for caregivers of all sorts. Um, so that they'd have a resource to come and meet and talk um, similar to the support group I've been a part of at another mm -hmm. place. And um, so we've talked about what would be needed and, and I've suggested that we start with the caregivers rather than with um, the other people that are involved in the care um, because they're the heart of how it starts to operate. And I also think that we have an obligation to support other family members um, and give them a sense of themselves also, but you start with the caregiver. Well, I mean, I, I love how you pointed that out. And I think so many people do forget that um, if their care of their own self is not being 
loved and managed. Um, right. it's, it's impossible to pour from an empty pitcher. Exactly. Yeah. Um, and I and I think I think my observation is that frequently people don't identify as caregivers, so maybe they're not tapping into the resources that would be available because they think, well, I'm just it's just my husband and or my mom. And I mean, of course, I'm going to help take care of them. Sure. But they don't think about all the resources in the community. And that's one of the good things about, I think, support groups or networks of caregivers where um, what happens in ours is every ha everybody has their own experience, but maybe they, are, they had something that you're now experiencing. Mm -hmm. So they think, oh, well, here's what I did. And here's the network in the community that you can rely on. And you can also get supplies. And I mean, it just goes on and on, but you have to have that network of people who know, and then the community groups that are available to you. I also think that um, it helps to have some kind of, um, I guess a list or description of some of the pitfalls of being a caregiver. Um, if you're feeling a certain way and, and you read this sheet and you go, oh my gosh, this describes me, I'm in trouble right. every day. And so I think it helps to have something close by that you can refer to when, especially when you start to feel like there's no energy, there's no um, emotion, you just can't do it. And um, you just have to really get a hold of it. I think that family members are so crucial. Um, I have two daughters who are extremely helpful mm -hmm. and have worked with me and we've, we've put together a lot of stuff for his care. And um, we have, nursing care coming in twice a week now and we're using the long-term care to help begin to pay for some of that but um you know when you start stretching those networks and saying here's what our thing is and here's 500 other families out there exactly like this that i didn't even know right. and so i think um it opens you up and you say it's okay to ask for help because we kind of as caregivers think, well, I should handle this and I should right. be able to keep going. And that's really not possible unless you have some kind of a safety network that really comes through when you need them the most. Well, and I think through all of your experience, you have seen a lot of different family dynamics. Yes. So that can be, that can be touchy. That can be choppy waters to navigate. Yeah, well, and I we've worked a lot at Grief's Journey with the family members, uh, children in particular that we've met with in small groups and talked to them about their being uh, caregivers and what that means for them. Like, how has your life changed and what right. jobs do you have to do? And right. so you're educating the family and what they're doing. It makes such a difference because you get more of a team spirit. And um, especially when you get positive feedback from other family members, if you're doing such a great job or thanks for coming over on Thursdays and doing this, this makes such a difference. And, you know, so I think you have to build in a support network for the whole family. Right. Well, and it makes me think of our love languages, how we all have different love languages and we tend to give our love how we want to receive it. So if you have a family member that's dropping a meal on your porch once a week, but your love language is words of affirmation. Yeah. You just want to hear thank you and you're doing a great job. 
Yeah, absolutely. It matters so much. And um, there are times when my husband says, thanks for doing this, or mm -hmm. I know you after that. And he's still very much aware his processing is somewhat um, complicated, but he's able to recognize times when I've gone out of my way or he needed something and I went to get it and came right back. And so he has an appreciation from time to time that makes me feel better too. I know right. that is that so and some don't have that benefit from the person that's ill but um it really does help when they say thanks a lot so yeah well and i think it can be hard to know with other family members um how and what to ask for in terms of help yes it is hard so well, people are saying i'm here i want to help what can i do and then it's hard to think of things do you have a recommendation on how people can play that out more successfully? Well, I I think first you have to work through the feeling of it's really okay to ask. Mm. As our message to ourselves is, I have to take care of this. I shouldn't have to depend on anybody. This is my job and it's our job. It's not my job. And so um, I think that for me, um, reaching out and asking my daughters for, for help was extremely difficult because I didn't think they got it. You know, I didn't think they felt yeah. Like they really saw what I was going through, but we developed um, a texting circle. And so each day I kind of describe some of the things from the day and things I might need. And yesterday my daughter called and she said, um, I'm at the store and I'm going to pick up a chicken. Do you need a chicken? And I thought, oh, great. That had really helped something. <laughs> she did that, but you know, it's, it's, the recognition on their part that even the simplest things, if they call and say, hey, how about this, is just a real great gesture right. and support. So, um, and I, th there are some great friends who say, how are you doing and what specifically can I do today to help you? And it's hard to say, uh, I'd like you to come over and fold all my clothes. <laughs> right, yeah, awkward. <laughs> but that's exactly what they want to do. They want to do yeah. practical things that make a difference. Right. So, and uh, each day is uncertain. You don't know where it's going from here. And so you just take it a day at a time. And, and I always say to everybody, one day at a time is the way we all live life. So right. we're giving us much like that also. So... You know, you may also have a unique uh, vantage into the grief and loss that the person with dementia or who is experiencing, a, you know, a later stage of aging um, yes. that, that they're experiencing. And I don't think we talk about that enough because there's so much loss that's happening as their capacities decline. Yes. And, and a caregiver is constantly living in anticipatory grief. Everything yes. has its own grief issues with what you are observing. And the long-term grief is that person won't be here after a while. This will take their life. And so, um, you know, it's the anticipatory grief is what people are become fascinated with. We talk about it quite a bit in our support groups in that many times uh, life experiences are built around anticipatory grief. And um, if you're not sure what that is and you talk about, well, every day you're looking at today and you're looking at the future at the same time and saying, what's going to happen and what am I going to have to do? And, you know, how long will they live? And so um, 
I think anticipatory grief has been one of the newer concepts that we've taught to people um, about grieving anyway. Mm -hmm. uh, but helping, helping them see that um, there are ways to cope with that and things that you can do to feel better um, about it because it's just a daily fact. Right. Well, and it was hard because my mother-in-law has dementia and she is currently um, in senior living because it, it, it just wasn't working to have her at home anymore. Um, and it was just really hard when she first had the diagnosis to watch her experience as she realized that she wasn't tracking conversations as well or, you know, she was just missing out on some of the things that she used to really enjoy in life. Yeah. And, and that's really hurtful to them because, and my husband will say, and he has a severe hearing loss. It's about 45% permanent hearing loss. And so he misses a lot of conversation anyway. Right. Um, he'll say after we've been together with people and he'll hear part of the conversation and he'll say, can you tell me what we talked about? I miss so much of it. And I yeah. just want to know what was going on. And, and that's a special kind of sadness because you think if he'd been able to join in as we were talking about it, how much more fun that would have been for him and for us. Um, but there's so much that they do miss out on. And <laughs> excuse me. <laughs> Yeah. Come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on, let's just get you out of the room. I didn't even think of you being in there. <laughs> Holy moly. Motivated. So, that dog's telling you about it. <laughs> well, and that's another person in our family who's a wonderful gift for my husband and me too because she's a very loving dog so she sits in our laps and loves us up and it really oh that's helps. so good that's so good so i actually did a conversation with a caregivers episode with uh, janie york who has a company called here now and she's a mobile hearing solution. So she helps people with hearing aids. And we had a really in-depth conversation about ways that can improve communication, wow. you know, dementia or not, just when someone has a hearing loss. Um, so that was, that was a great conversation as well. Well, and it's so crucial to the quality of life every day. If right. you don't what's going on and you just feel like a an extra piece sitting around it's it's very deflating and depressing so yeah it does that do you think you can pre-grieve so if if you feel like you're in this anticipatory grief like I can't imagine that that helps ease the pain later um I think it's important to sort of take uh, a, an assessment of the things you've lost so far so you can stay with it. Um, we do go back and, and Raj and I even talk about things that he used to be able to do or things, you know, we'd like to be able to go to Colorado, but to do that, we'd have to take people with us and services with us to be able to do even a few days. and. So you begin to see all the things that you used to do so easily. And I do think you have to grieve those things. But I think that's just part of the aging process, too, of you can't do what you used to do, even if you wanted to. 
Um, but I do think that thinking about the losses you've had so far would be important to sort of put it in perspective that there'll be more losses, but you've already endured and processed other losses. And um, so it's, it's probably just a good mental exercise and maybe even talking as a family about how much we weren't able to do it. And of course, right now with the COVID, why mm -hmm. it's narrowed the ability to do a lot of things that you might do with someone who has a caregiver um, because of the situation with the disease. But um, right. anyway, but I think that at least when we've been working with anticipatory grief, we've asked people to go back and look at pictures of their life with that loved one before and sort of reminisce. And, and then it does kind of give you a balance of, well, here's where we are today, but it's okay in its own way too, because we're still doing these things and we still have these times. So it's not a, just a total loss, like I quit, I can't do anything. Um, but I do think it's a process that takes time and needs to be done. Why do you think we don't want to talk about grief? Well, because most of our whole society is all focused on life and love and living wild and, you know, mm -hmm. um, aliveness. So I, I don't think a lot of people in their earlier years give much thought to how life could and does change. Yeah. And so I think because the emphasis so much is life, we just don't want to face it. We don't want to think about it. Things are good and I want it to stay that way. And so we're in denial of the reality of every day. Right. But um, I think that as you, well, at least as our kids grew up and went on to college and things like that, you had a process to go through anyway as, as they're moving on into their own lives. And so if you can look at it that way that we're processing along and um, life will be different um, and talk with a, with a family about this. Um, and our, our grandkids are, are wonderful with Raj. And, and so um, they came over, he needed to sell his cars because he can't drive anymore. And he had a little sports car and then he had a nice Buick. And, and so the two grandsons um, on Thanksgiving, <laughs> we were online with them and they said, grandpa, our project for December is to help you sell your two cars because they, we know they have to go and we just wanna help you do that. So here's what we're gonna use to find out the right prices and help you get those sold because it's just such a reminder of not being able to drive and mm -hmm. you could probably make money from those vehicles. <laughs> right, yeah. But I thought, what a tremendous thing. They recognized the changes in life and how they could step in and be an important part of that too, to make it go along. And uh, I thought that was a lot of insight. They're both in their 20s. And um, I thought that was very insightful on their part to say, hey, here's something we can do for him. Right. And uh, it's been really good. That's really, that's really great. What good, what good kids. Yeah, Absolutely. You know, I feel like we need, we need more uh, rites of passage as we yes. age because I feel like there's so many celebratory rites of passage right. and as we're young through middle age, but then from middle age on, there's just fewer and fewer. 
all had, and I can remember being 50 and thinking to myself, oh my gosh, I've changed so much and it's getting worse and all this. <laughs> yeah. years old, and it was like, okay, get over yourself and, you know, just kind of move along here. It's okay. Yeah. yeah. No, I've noticed this. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Well, I think every stage has changes physically, physically and lifestyle and everything. And if we just look at it as a, a continuing process, then it's not so frightening when you get further along, like when we were in our 60s, why it was really um, scary to us because we'd been playing tennis and volleyball and all this stuff for so long. And I quit at 55 and he's still trying a little bit with pickleball. And, um, you know, I say more power to you, but it's just hard to accept the changes that come along because you just think you're going to keep going forever. Right. Yeah. Well, and I know, I think I love what you said about just taking a moment to observe and um, acknowledge. So if there's something that is just not working for you anymore to have some time to grieve it, you know, to celebrate that you were able to do it and then, and then grieve it. Well, and for him playing um, sports games was very, very important. Um, very much a part of his ego of I'm young and strong, I can do all this stuff. And as he watched himself decline and, and fall or have accidents or whatever while he was doing sports, it was very depressing for him. And I said, why would you, we, we had a, quite a few talks about why would you expect your body to go on being able to do what it could do 20 years ago? That's not even realistic or even close, but we could, and we were still playing sand volleyball. And I said, we could play on regular ground instead of sand where mm -hmm. So we made adjustments with some of the stuff and he went on to play pickleball. I haven't played pickleball, but he absolutely loves it. But he's now realized that he's done with that. And so he's not gonna be able to um, play pickleball anymore. He's had some falls and so, um, I think that now he can talk about it and recognize it in a different way than he could even a month ago. Yeah. Just realizing it's different now. Yeah. So, Pickleball has been sweeping the nation. <laughs> and he's watching his team. Now they're, they're going to a shopping mall where they're not using one of the stores and they're going to convert it to a wall or to a pickleball court inside that store. So that store is being used. Oh, how fun is that here in Omaha? But yeah, very <gasps> clever. And I thought, wow, you know, there's innovative things you could do. And that's what his whole group talked about. They said, well, we, we want to play. So where could we play? Because there's not many facilities for that. Right. And they come up with, and that's what they're working on now. But it gives you a sense of being alive and well and being able to plan and help others go on with what you've been doing. So, right. But, yeah, but it is hard. Well, if you have such so much experience as a caregiver and then, of course, helping families navigate this as well, do you have any just words of wisdom for people that are on this journey or who are considering taking care of a loved one? Um, that's a good question. It's, it's pretty broad. I think that one of the things that has helped me a lot is doing meditation. Mm. I've taken time every day to 
be quiet and just reflect. And, and um, there's a peace that comes with getting quiet and saying the universe unfolds exactly as it should. And so giving myself a little bit of peace of I'm not in control right. of everything. Also, my meditation really helps me um, just feel a part of things and know that I'm okay right now. I'm not who I used to be. I'm not who I will be, but I'm okay right now. And um, I'm going to have a good day. And I just start that each day. But I think even just calling it quiet time, some people are suspicious of meditation or whatever. Yeah. But, but I think if you just have a quiet time, even 10 or 15 minutes throughout the day where you just sit for a little bit with yourself and and do self-talk that says I am okay I I try to develop a mantra every day or every week that I say this week mm. I'm going to enjoy these things and I've started the thing that Oprah started so many years ago was at the end of the day writing down three blessings of the day that were yours not somebody else's but yours yes it's amazing how much that encourages you every day then to say it really is okay it is what it is and uh, so I think time with self again and self-care is so critical no matter if you're a caregiver or anything else, you really have to be in touch with who you are um, as best as possible. And I know there's a, I have a son-in-law who is so not into feelings and all that stuff. And I just get a big kick out of him because he's gotten into it more and more hanging around us. Uh -huh. But I think that the more, and I think maybe this time with that, the disease of the, the um, COVID has made all of us slow down and it's been a good slowdown because I think we've looked at things differently than we ever have before and thinking slower actually could be good and is good and so I think this time is teaching us some of that but I think a caregiver has to say I am going to make it and it's going to be a, a good journey my path will be okay it'll be rough at times but I'm going to make it and I think you have to tell yourself that so that you can continue forward. I tell people in our groups, I said, um, when, when you have a loved one die, you don't go on, you go forward. Mm. And there's a huge difference in that. And when you go forward, you take everything you've had all these years and you bring it with you and the love of that person and there you are all together and you're going to go forward into something where that person's not going to be there but they're still there. They're in your heart, your mind, and in your life before. And so, you know, you're going forward, you're creating life today. And I just think you have to tell people that really is what it is. And you're okay. You're right. gonna make it. So well, I I really appreciate that. And I think to your point about the gratitude, I think a lot of times caregivers don't just take a moment to give themselves credit. Yes. What yes. they did that day or how well they managed to navigate something or survive an episode or an incident. And so that can be part of the self-care practice. Just at the end of the day, that's something I'm a, a personal coach and I work with caregivers and just giving yourself credit at the end of the day for what you did accomplish. And even if that is, I move the laundry from the washer to the dryer, right? I have one of those baskets right there now. <laughs> it can be a really little thing, but just giving yeah. yourself 
credit is so important. So yeah, it really is. So I think um, just knowing that it doesn't have to be a big, exciting thing. I, uh, Raj was not using his CPAP machine and you could tell he was not getting enough oxygen in his head. And I said to him, I liked it so much better when you were, your head was clearer and we could have better conversations. And he put his CPAP machine out that night and began using it again. And it's been much better. He's, he's just been so much more alert. And, um, I, and so I said, look what I did by just giving him some information. Right. And so I, I used that one for sure that day. So but um, it's just been a pleasure to talk to you and, and really, yeah, lovely. I appreciate your time. I'm gonna, I wanna um, catch up with you on something else really quickly, if that's okay. Um, but I'm gonna stop recording for now. <laughs> All right.